I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of the Revelation. We will get back to Ruth. I know I promised you we'd start the love story, but I forgot we were uh, we committed to uh, really look at the persecuted church. So uh, I'd like for you to, to turn to the book of Revelation. We do have Bibles underneath for you. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. It's a great text for our focus today. This is the very Word of God. God Almighty has spoken to me and you. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the Word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then each were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, should be complete. That is, those who were to be killed as they themselves had been. O Lord, give us eyes to see the beauty of your throne, the heavenly place of worship. And would you give us a heart for what is important to you? And would you cause something to rise up in our hearts and minds that we might follow you? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is the book of Revelation. That means there's a lot of background about the seven seals of Revelation. Here we are just kind of helicoptering down right in the uh, in the fifth seal, but we're not going to deal with all that background today, the, the, this larger story, this larger idea. What I'd really like to do is I'd like to focus on this particular scene in the heavenly sanctuary right at the throne of God. And I want to ask, what is God keeping under the altar that is so precious to Him, that He keeps this so near to Him? Whatever that is, it's important to God. And the answer is, is it is the souls of the martyrs. It is the souls of those who have died in their Their following of Jesus, their speaking for Jesus, and and just the witness that they've had to the gospel. There's a true story uh, of two men who were the most, two most famous Christians of their entire era. This was in the mid 18th century, meaning 1700s. Their names were John Wesley and George Whitfield. They were they were the most popular people in Christendom, not just in the church, but they were known in England and in America. They were like some of the first like spiritual celebrities, if you will. And uh, they had known each other since college days. And there's this wonderful story uh, about their lives as friends. But later on in their life, they kind of gone in two different directions theologically. George Whitfield. Uh, had had become reformed in his theology, 
And John Wesley had become Arminian. Now, you don't need to worry about what all this means right now if you don't know. It means that basically that, that George Whitfield believed in the sovereignty of God and God's sovereign choice in salvation, meaning election. And John Wesley rejected this level of sovereignty. Well, the, the disagreement got really heated, and it got heated because John Wesley had made a few, and it, it may not have realized that it was going to get out, but made a few unfortunate remarks to the press. And then, of course, you know what happens. The overzealous followers of both of these men started antagonizing one another, and this kind of became a story in the press, how there was this, this divide among these two men who had known each other. And so one day, a, uh, a, a, someone in the press was talking with George Whitfield, and he baited George Whitfield to, to see if, he was, if George Whitfield would say something nasty about his friend John Wesley. And so the, the, the reporter asked kind of sideways, sideways, do you even think John Wesley will be in heaven? Whitfield answered with one of the most humble statements ever uttered toward someone who is kind of a rival. Whitfield said, no, I do not think I will see George Whit, uh, John Wesley in heaven. The reporter was eagerly writing that down. He said, no, in fact, I won't see John Wesley in heaven because he'll be so much closer to the throne of God than me. I'm sure that I'll never see him. Well, today we find out who really is closest to the throne of God. And our text says it's the martyrs. Our, our text says it's the persecuted. For Jesus' sake. Um... Very precious to God, very, very, right there under the altar in the, the heavenly place of worship, the altar of incense. Now, I selected this text because it not only tells us that people under persecution are very important to God and those who have gone before us, but this scene is, is playing out in, in 10,000 places right now. Right now. In the earth and all over the world. And in terms of sheer volume, there's never been more persecution than there is right now for Jesus' church. And if this issue of persecution and these people under pressure, even to the point of death, are important to God, I think this morning we need to say they need to be important to us as well. And so, so glad that we can focus on the persecuted church. Today we can remember them. Honor them. Recommit maybe to them. Maybe we'll discover how we might serve them while we're serving Jesus today. So I'd like to kind of move quickly through this passage. And then I'd like to read some things that, in my studies, of some things that are going on now. And how we might properly respond to those things. In verse 9, we read, when, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, the testimony they had borne. They were killed because of their honoring and holding fast to the truth of God's Word. Uh, they were killed because of the gospel. And you know, even today, believers in, are you ready for this? 75% of the world are under persecution. 75%. And they keep bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus. You know, the, there's a lot of amazing things about persecution, and there's a lot of amazing things about people under persecution. But one of the things that just kind of jumps out at you is they're, they're being killed for pro proclaiming a gospel of forgiveness, even for the people killing them. And they're like little lambs to the slaughter, you know. They're, they're, they're not 
they're not, you know, don't have machine guns around their, their necks. They're, they're here with the gospel of peace. They're here with forgiveness. And, and as they say, God will forgive you, they die. It's, it's an amazing thing. And, and they, 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 they seek forgiveness for people that have killed folks that they know. They seek forgiveness for whole cultures that, that have mindsets where, where persecution rises up. These are amazing people. But we, but we learn at the throne of God, they cry out. It says in verse 10, they cry out in a loud voice. And, and what they're crying out for is not just the end of persecution, but the ushering in of God's justice and God's reign of, of peace. They're, they're calling for the Lord to, to act. Verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Persecution is just wrong. And it matters to God. And, and you need to understand something. As they cry out to God, you've you got to understand how this is written. They're not crying out just for personal vengeance. The Scriptures make clear in Romans twelve nineteen. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Give place to wrath. Vengeance is mine. No, they're, notice they're, they're calling out for the sovereign Lord. They're calling out for the absolute monarch of the universe, the one who is sovereignly in control of all things, who is holy and true, who is both sinless and perfect, but also completely true in everything that he has said and everything that he has done. And they're simply asking God in the middle of a bloody situation and a very difficult situation, God, they're simply saying, God, would you be God in this situation? How long until you bring the peace? How long until justice comes? How long until your reign, your final reign comes? And the answer is, and I love this, God is speaking in answer just a little while longer. That's good news for people under persecution. Just a little while longer. But you know what that tells us, right, this morning? It's not over. It's not over, but it won't be too much longer. And the Lord will prevail over all persecution. The Lord will, 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 will right every wrong and um, and, you know, until that time, persecution will be the means of the greatest demonstration, the greatest demonstration to the world of the reality of Christ in the hearts of people. Let me say that again. Until a little longer and the reign of peace and the justice comes, persecution will be unmatched as the greatest demonstration to the world of the reality of Christ in the hearts of people. One of the reasons, here's two truths about, about persecution. One of the reasons Satan hits so hard, particularly in these latter days in which we are living, is because the clock is running and the clock's running out. He, he also knows it's only a little while longer. He wants to inflict as much damage as he can upon Jesus' sheep, upon the church of the Lord in this little time that he has remaining. And the second truth is, yet the more God's believers are persecuted, the more they rely on God. The more they rely on His Word. The more they lean into the beauty of the Gospel and the union with God that, 
that is death proof. Because God himself has, has joined to us. And, and the more that they preach, the more that they speak forgiveness. This is a, these are amazing people. And you know what happens through persecution and people respond that way? Folks in the culture notice this. That's why, whoa, you are threatened to be killed and you act like that? This must be real. They notice the reality of, uh, uh, in those believers that they secretly long for. The church initially seems to lose under persecution. People die. People go to prison. People lose their jobs. And people around say, oh, man, I don't know if I, I need to, you know, I don't want to become a Christian. I mean, uh, it, 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 it kind of feels like the, the church is, is losing initially under persecution. But in the long run, it becomes so healthy under persecution because, because what is unnecessary that's winnowed away to the core of the word of god and the witness as we read in this passage passage the witness to the grace of god the more they persecute us the more we grow and the more the church grows um, the early church father tertullian in uh, one of the biggest periods of death and destruction and persecution of the church famously said, you want to know why the church is growing so much? And fully one-tenth of the Roman Empire became Christian when it was against the law punishable by death. That's amazing. One-tenth of the entire civilized world came to faith when it was punishable by death. Something was going on there. Tertullian basically said, you want to know why Christianity spread so much? Because the blood of the martyrs has become the seed of the church. The church is springing up everywhere because of the faith and the demonstration and the witness of the martyrs. The more they persecute us, the more they saw Christ in us. So the martyrs under the heavenly altar are told it will only be a little while until justice comes and peace comes because it's not over. And that means more are going to be killed. And this shows us that it is not God's will for everybody to be delivered from persecution. There's a, there's a kind of theology that says if we prayed hard enough, God would always deliver us. And, you know, God will always deliver us. No. God will deliver whom He will deliver. And He, he does deliver. And I remember forget Knox Chandler saying, God delivers people two ways finally. He delivers them from death or He delivers them through death right into His arms. But... Um, Not everybody will be delivered, and there are more that are going to die this week. And those who follow him under such pressure are very dear to him, very close to him in some wonderful way as we see in this passage. And all of this is still true this morning. It's being lived out this morning, and we are connected with this ongoing persecution everywhere by virtue of the fact that this is our family that is being persecuted. We, 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 we cannot stand at a distance and say, we don't know who those people are. We know exactly who those people are. Those are our brothers. Those are our sisters in Christ. Folks, do you know that we are no different from them? You know the only difference between us and them? I'm talking about that know the Lord and are persecuted? The only difference is our address. Our address. Our address. 
and the fact that we live in a place of, of freedom and they don't. But it shows us something else. It shows us that there is something very important here. It shows us the logical conclusion of being committed to Jesus literally means being willing to die. I know that sounds melodramatic, but it's not. That's kind of what this text is suggesting. We really aren't different from them. They have jobs. They have families. They have school. They do kind of in different cultural expressions just what we do. And one day the pressure arrived. One day the pressure arrived and they they stood for Christ and they paid the price. Just like if tomorrow morning the pressure arrived right here in Jackson, Mississippi, we would have to be potential martyrs. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? We must all be willing to suffer. Are you willing to suffer? I mean, we're so worried that somebody's going to make a little fun of us for like take, taking this Jesus thing a little too seriously. I mean, is that really persecution? If it is, it's very soft. We tend to become complacent in our faith and even accommodating of the culture much more than we should. We know this. And by the way, it's a great way not to get persecuted. You want to protect your own hide? Then accommodate the culture. Become just like the culture. And Satan will not touch you. Let me ask you a question. Is your Christian life even persecutable? I'm not sure if that's a word, but it is now. Is there anything about our walk with Jesus that's real enough that somebody would want to persecute us if persecution and pressure were to arrive tomorrow morning? Our text suggests that Satan and people should have reasons to persecute us, that we hold on to the Word of God and we hold on to the witness of our, through our lives of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. George Eldon Ladd said, and I love this, every saint is a martyr waiting to happen. At least that is the testimony of the Scriptures and the testimony of the Scriptures here. Uh, I, I, I watched a video interview with a woman uh, this, this week. Uh, Gina actually found it for me, thankfully, um, from Iran. Not an easy place to be a believer right now. And uh, she was intensely persecuted for her faith, and she kind of detailed some of this persecution. And it's, it's kind of crazy you know that to think that these things actually happen and she had family and friends who had died and she was detained and and all these things um but she was asked kind of toward the tail end of the interview this is really interesting she was asked if persecuted christians there felt forgotten by their brothers and sisters in america she graciously said she understood that when you have freedom and abundance it can be very easily easy to forget and she said I understand if they have how gracious and then she was asked if folks in Iran meaning believers in Iran were upset with seemingly unconcerned Christians here in America she said no that God was trustworthy enough in Iran but she quickly asked for prayer for those under the gun in Iran, and, and she urged people to use the Internet to get fresh stories, to be reminded, and to have a connection with people. And, and there are so many amazing stories throughout the history of the church. I could tell you a story 
about the first century, just very detailed stories of the martyrs and, and their incredible faith and, and love for Christ. Um, I could tell you stories all the way up there. I could tell you stories during the Reformation. I could tell you stories during the modern missionary era. I could tell you stories all the way up into the, the 20th century. Um, but you know, right now actually is kind of a high watermark in the history of the church for persecution right now is. So I'd like to focus a little bit right now. And may I say, before we just kind of look at a few things, may I say that I am not suggesting that people from other cultures all want to persecute Christians. I am not saying that. I am not saying that everybody of other religions wants to persecute Christians. So if you read that in what I'm saying, you misread me. I'm saying it is happening. And it is happening in a, in a big way. So from a, a news story, October 26, every, uh, from the Christian Post, every, fi- every five minutes a Christian is martyred for their faith. I'm sorry, according to Christian, Christian Freedom International, every five minutes. There are more than 200 million followers around the world currently facing persecution, making Christians now the most persecuted faith on the earth. Christians currently face persecution in 105 of the 196 countries in a geographical sweep that extends across northern and western Africa, across the Middle East, throughout Asia, and down into Indonesia. And it has been calculated that more Christians have been martyred for their faith in the 20th and 21st centuries than during all the previous 19 centuries combined. Is this just amazing to you? Okay, this is from October 29th. Last time I checked, that was last Saturday. Is that right? Or last Sunday, a week ago. And I've tried to get things that are recent from the Christian Post. Persecution of Christians is getting worse as up to 75% of the world's population now lives without religious freedom. You know who said that? Not, a, not necessarily a, a, a friend of the church. Said the European Union special envoy, Jan Figel, as he began to talk about religion from the European Union perspective. And I could spend a a lot of time, 75% of people in the world under persecution, I could spend a lot of time reading through story after story of incredible faithfulness of people that before the pressure turned up, they were just like us, and they stood. And you know what? I have got a thing, some things I'm going to read there. It's gruesome, and I don't have time. But trust me, it's really horrific. And these are just different snapshots from all over the world. And they are all precious to God. And they are all now resting with God under the altar nearest to the throne of God. Verse 11, and when they, then they were each given a white robe signifying holiness, the the righteousness of Jesus. They were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete and those who were to be killed as themselves had been killed. It's not over. It is happening now and the number's not full yet. And these people are amazing. I'll tell you, they're amazing because they cut through all the layers of our urgent non-essentials. They cut through 
to the Word of God and to our testimony and the, the witness of the Gospel and what it means to know God personally through the blood of Jesus and, and what that means for the world through us and the Great Commission. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to close with one story. I know you, some of you are disappointed. Oh, he's not going to tell us. And I, I chose this story... It's not, it's not the most graphic. It's not for shock effect because this isn't a preacher standing up and this is not somebody, you know, in, in an orange jumpsuit being shot in the back of the head uh, by, by a group of people. Now, this is, um, this is an ordinary family. This is about ordinary families and what's happening to a group of, of very ordinary families. And I want you to substitute yourself into this story because if you lived in the Gaza Strip, this would probably be you. This came out of the Middle East yesterday in an Arabic report that the plight of Christians living in Gaza under the Palestinian Authority is worsening. According to the report, Christians in Gaza now only amount to 2,500 people surrounded by 1.5 million people of other faiths. And the report goes on to say that local authorities are not concerned from the report's viewpoint as they should be about this tiny minority and the protection of a tiny minority in, in the middle of, of, of this religious ocean of people. Um, and how there has been great and continuous pressure placed on Christians. One said, and this is not a Christian source, by the way. It's somebody that is not Christian, who is Arabic, who is concerned. At times we hear the bombings and find out that they are Christian bookshops or churches or other Christian establishments or institutions that have been blown up. Other times we hear of the kidnapping of Christian children and of the coercion of them to embrace the religion of Muhammad, says the report. The bishop of that area, I suppose in Greek Orthodox or Catholic, I'm not sure, uh, came forth to confirm that the kidnapped Christian children who had, quote, converted to Islam, did so under threats, coercion, compulsion, and force unto death. His church also submitted a formal petition to the governor of the region, whose name I don't need to read, calling on him to investigate matters, but he has received no response. Palestinian leaders say that such Christian converts have done so of their own free will and without pressure. However, these same leaders refuse to let their, the, the Christian families meet or even learn the whereabouts of these recent converts so they can confirm if their conversions were committed freely or under duress. So how would you like to be at the dinner table one night and your kid didn't come home? And then you found out your kid was forced, you assume, to convert to Islam and, you, and they won't even let you find him. Today, we are thousands of miles away from all that. Man, we are just hermetically sealed off 
from all that death and destruction and pressure. and We're out of harm's way. We're freely meeting right here and right now in worship of Jesus Christ, the Father and the Spirit. But even so, far removed, we can be there for them. And that's the purpose of this Sunday. Could I just suggest two ways before we go to the table that we could be there for them? First of all, you can remember them and pray. Every one of you got, if you didn't, you can get one out, out in the atrium, uh, this prayer guide. And what's great is this prayer guide really kind of tells you how to pray. And it gives you scriptures to look up that, that kind of show several of them about, you know, praying for your persecutors, about praying for those who are in prison and, and, um, and, and such. And then on the back page, watch this, this is so cool. It, uh, I didn't quite do it seamlessly. Uh, it turns into three bookmarks that, that reminds you to pray for the persecuted church. You can put one of those in your Bible and you give the other two away. And the, the purpose of that, of course, is, is you'll see it and you'll be able to pray for it. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters under such pressure. Secondly is you can give financially to help persecuted believers. I mean, I know that we're, the Mississippians are the number one philanthropic state in the Union. So, hey, why don't we send that to some people that have, um, are running from the uh, Islamic State and don't have a home and don't have food and don't have medical care. And by the way, when, when you, and this, this, is, um, this is from um, Voice of the Martyrs, and you can just click right there to give. and They say 100% is going. I've done it several times. Packets of help will arrive and be paid for tomorrow. They already have them. And, uh, and you will put food and, and care in the hands of somebody just like you, and the only difference is your address. Wouldn't that be cool? Could we spend some money this afternoon online and not at Amazon.com? At Voice of the Martyrs, or there's another great ministry called Open Doors, if you'd like to write that down. But you can make it to Voice of the Martyrs through what we have given you. Finally... This morning, as you move to the table of grace, I want you to hear Jesus saying, this bread is my body martyred for you. And this cup is my blood spilled for you. And even as we eat and drink in deep thanksgiving and wonder, that he would love us that much. Why don't we ask for a, a, a willingness and a, to recommit in some way to, to following him and representing him, offer our lives to him. And, and as you meditate today, um, and we'll have time to do that, pray for Jesus to strengthen those in persecution, your brothers and sisters that are living right now, day to day, today. Can we do that as we receive the blessing of the table? Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for it is finished. We're so thankful not only for the sacrifice, the death of Jesus, but the empty tomb in which through the resurrection he has given new life to us that never ends, that we too will know these martyrs. But Lord, we didn't become believers just to be consumers. And God, would you, would you reestablish a love for you within us because of the gospel this morning? And as we touch and handle and taste and see, 
would you cause that also to become concern for those brothers and sisters and your worldwide kingdom that is coming? And thank you that you are the sovereign Lord and you really are in control. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.